Welcome to the Lower Native Podcast. My name is Nicholas Crockett. You might know that already if you're here as a result of being my friend on social media, but I'd like to give a proper introduction to the podcast nonetheless. As stated in the byline, the intention of this podcast is to explore creativity here in the American South, in and around Tennessee, East Tennessee more specifically, for the time being. And the means of exploration is simply having discussions with other creative minds from all mediums and walks of life. Because I am a filmmaker myself and my home base is the Knoxville film community, it's safe to expect a lot of the guests and subject matter to be related to film. But as you'll hear in today's episode, the discussions are very broad and relatable, very human. I don't intend on boring anyone with full-fledged nuts and bolts discussions about filmmaking. The title of the podcast, Lower Native, is a working title I've been using for a docu-series that is still in its earliest stages. Obviously, that production is much more resource-intensive, thus the crossover here to the podcast format. But the intention of that series is something similar, something a little less specific than creative communities or philosophies. But I think that if that docuseries does ever get off the ground, that sharing a title between the two would not be detrimental to either. On the note of production and editing, in the interest of authenticity, I do not intend to edit the content of the conversations I have. Of course, if any technical errors occur, any loud exterior audio interferences, or even just periods of dead air or tripping over one's own words, I'll edit those out for the sake of brevity and clarity. But aside from that, the conversations you hear will be in full form and detail. I also have the intention of doing some solo episodes. The subject matter will vary, but essentially I'll just be riffing on various topics or ideas that I find stimulating or interesting and which might be too dense or loaded to carry into a back-and-forth conversation. I am recording this show out of my apartment, so I have a squeaky office chair, I have a dog, I have neighbors, there are cars. There might be times where there are uh, distractions, but hope that you'll understand that I cannot control them. (laughs) Um, I'm really excited about this project. It feels good to have something that I can work on in my own capacity with the resources I have on hand, and that will contribute to a community which is very important to myself and to others. As most of you know, shows like this are benefited greatly by simply pressing the follow or subscribe button. So if you're interested in what you've heard so far, or think you might be interested in listening in the future, please follow. Welcome to episode number one of the Lower Native Podcast. My guest today is Knoxville filmmaker and all-around awesome human being, Jacob Boyd. Hello, Jacob. Mr. Nick, it is so good to be with you, man. This is awesome. Uh, Thank you for the invite to this little chat. Absolutely. I'm glad to have you on board. Glad to glad to see your face and to be talking with you. It's been quite a while. It, it has been so long. You know, I remember the first time that I ever saw you, I was, it was probably back in 2012 or so. You were in this band. And during that time, I had this idea where myself and a couple of their film buddies we would go to these shows and we'd record these you know, these local-ish bands, and and then, you know, just cut it together. Just a good opportunity to get some practice in, and as a music lover, that was fun to do. But I remember we recorded your band, this band called Camillo the Ocean. Is that right? That is right. Yeah, so as you know, when you're editing a video, you, you see it a million times, and I just always... I, everyone in those bands, I could never forget their face because I've 
dealt with editing them for so long. And it was just funny that a handful of years after that, I was like, wait, there's this guy who was the drummer for that band, but now he's doing this video stuff. That, that was just <laughs> a weird thing. That's a funny way to, uh, to meet somebody. No doubt. Yeah, I had a similar sort of lapse in memory um, where when we did meet, I guess it was the seven day shootout, probably like 2016. Um, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. I did not even know that you were the the person who had filmed those videos, but I love those videos. And Camillo is a, is a fond place in my heart. Um, as far as my history of bands and, and, you know, my musical career. So I go back and watch them more often than I would like to admit publicly and uh, indulge a bit <laughs> in the, the glory days. Um, so when that connection was made, it was it was really awesome. And uh, I'm glad that you and I have been able to form a, a friendship and in, uh, in the in the film community here in Knoxville, um, you know, kindred spirits. So it's nice. Absolutely, man. And dude, your band was awesome. You know, when I was younger, I fiddled a bit with music. You know, I, I tried to fancy myself like a songwriter and I tried to sing a little bit. But man, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you guys. But all I know is that generation, you know, five, ten years after me, were just what you guys were doing was so beyond what I was mm. up to. And so it was just amazing to see. And dude, you're you're an incredible drummer, man. So you know, I it's awesome that you can do video and do all that sort of stuff. But it's also awesome, also awesome to have that background in music and understanding rhythm because that really does come into play through video editing and things of that nature as well. So it's just really cool, man. But dude, I haven't seen you in so long because of all this pandemic stuff and all that. And you actually left Facebook for a little while, mm. and as you know, as everyone's kind of at home, the only way that you can really connect with anybody is through these digital spaces. So you kind of dropped off the planet for a while, man. What was up with that? <laughs> yeah, that was um, that was a big chunk of time. I was actually off of Facebook for about 10 months. Let me rewind a bit and just say, first of all, thank you very kindly for those words about Camillo and about my drumming. Um that's very kind and uh, much appreciated, my friend. So, and I and I have to say that the the rhythmic aspect that comes into play for editing specifically, I found to be very true as to what you were saying. Um, those things, I, I feel like they were they were informing each other, you know, from my my background there. So, but yeah, um, I basically just got overloaded, man, with uh, with social media and. Um, I think that that's something that maybe people at large are being exposed to, um, you know, at, at varying rates. And um, I just decided, you know, I was going through some some stuff personally, and I was in a in a bit of an exploratory mode. And I decided, you know, I want to step out from my comfort zone. I want to step out from my my situation that I'm currently sort of cyclically repeating. And, um, I, uh, in February of 2020 at the very end of February, I moved out of my apartment. I put all my stuff in storage. I turned the back of my SUV into a sort of a camper, um, situation. <laughs> and I packed up a couple duffel bags and my dog and I drove across the country for a month and, that was, what? 
yeah, coinciding with that was the um, was the uh, deactivation of Facebook. So it was sort of like this, you know, removal of myself from the the digital plane, if you will, and a uh, a total, you know, adventure, you know, in the physical world. So that happened. Yeah, we left from we left from Morristown, where I was living at the time, and we stopped in Nashville overnight. Uh, where I actually photographed a friend's wedding um, on my way out. Like, oh, hey, I'll just stop and photograph your wedding, um, yeah. <laughs> which was cool. And it was a it was a friend who I haven't seen in, in a couple of years before that, at least. So we got to kind of catch up and hang out. And then I left from there and went Oklahoma City, Albuquerque, New Mexico, um, Los Angeles and Ventura, California, up to Big Sur and Napa, California, and then across um, Lake Tahoe, across the, the top of Nevada into Salt Lake City, down through uh, southern Utah into Colorado, where I spent a few days in Boulder, Denver, Colorado Springs, and then uh, came back across Kansas uh, and the Midwest through Kentucky back in Tennessee. Wow. So, Holy yeah. geez, man. I had no idea that this happened. That is unbelievably incredible, man. And I'll tell you, it was around that time. I don't know if there was something in the air, but I also, I didn't deactivate Facebook and I didn't go on an incredible road trip like that, but I did remove it from my phone. I think there's something about habits. And when you have this thing right in your pocket, you start using it almost as a crutch. Like if there's any moment of boredom, you're just opening it up and you're scrolling. I don't know if you're retaining any of the information that you're reading, but you're just scrolling. It's like you become this robot of a person. So to break that habit, get out of that little rut or, I don't know, mind cycle, just an yeah. incredible thing, man. But you took that to the extreme. That is a, <laughs> no that doubt. Is a wild story, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was, you know, it wasn't all hinged upon the digital habit, you know, that I had formed. It wasn't, it, that wasn't all a, a result of me saying, I've got to get away from Facebook, so I'm going to drive 6,000 miles, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But, but you're totally right, man. I think that this sort of um, default to open your phone and just look at something whenever we're in a moment of, you know, of boredom or tranquility or just inactivity is it's a little scary. It's a little, it's, it's definitely new, you know, social media at large and smartphones and our ability to just be interconnected, um, across the world is very new to humanity. And I think we're still learning a lot about it and figuring out how it's affecting us and understanding the habits and, and sort of, you know, default activity mechanisms that it's creating within us. And mm. every once in a while, I feel like I can step back and get a little bit of a third person view of that. And I'm like, whoa, I've spent way too many minutes or hours on my social media apps today or this week or, you know, in my life. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's a, it, it was a jarring thing and it always is. I mean, I, I still take intermittent breaks from Facebook or actually Facebook is the only social media that I still have. Uh, my Instagram is permanently gone. I haven't had Twitter in years. And um, Facebook is one that I maintain intermittently because to be frank, it's the only way I can keep up with several people in my life. So, you know, it just is what it is. Yeah, totally, man. Hey, when you quit that first little bit, did you have any sort of 
like was it comfortable initially to not check this or did you have these sort of withdraws from it? I'm curious. Oh, definitely. Um, I, I don't know how to, uh, quantify how many times I would open my phone and go to the position on my phone screen where the app used to be. Right. And I would like Mm -hmm. go to tap it and it just wasn't there any longer. And I'm like, Oh, I just did that. And then there would be times where I'm like doing that for the sixth time in a day. And I'm like, Oh, I just did that for the sixth time today. You know? And it's like, man, just the habit itself, just the, the muscle memory, literally to open my phone and swipe over to that app and tap it was ingrained, you know, for a while. Um, not to mention you just have this ever present stimulus that you can generate from these social media apps. And when you're so used to taking in all that information and entertainment and what in whatever form you seek it, whether it's music or memes or political stuff or just friends or dogs or, you know, I mean, Whatever you want to find, it's there. And that's part of the addictive nature, I think, of these of these apps. Mm, I think you're spot on about that, man. And as far as my uh, Facebooking goes, it's it's gotten more minimal. But I'll tell you, my tweeting, my Twittering has gone through <laughs> the roof as a result. Um, so I'm still trying to find that balance. But I'm glad that you, you know, made real steps in order to, you know, make some changes and to identify these things. So good for you, man. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks. It's something. And, and, you know, I don't think that it's all bad. I don't think that social media um, is all bad by any means. I think that um, uh, in the grand scheme, our interconnectivity is going to lead to the betterment of people because we're exposed and we're learning and things that were once, you know, uh, secrets that were talked about around, you know, campfires or, you know, just family traditions or cultural traditions or, um, you know, sad stories of, you know, oppression or, uh, bigotry. They're now being put on blast across the internet all the time. And I think that those are initial steps to solving problems and to doing better and to progressing, you know, so those things are great. And if, and if, a person is so inclined, they can participate as much as they want. But the reality for me as an individual was that suddenly there was a weight, you know, from taking in all this information and to becoming aware and, you know, feeling some empathy and some compassion about a lot of things that I might not have otherwise known about. So Mm. that was a, uh, a big driver for that, you know? Well, good, man. Yeah. We're just, we're figuring it out as we go. And I completely agree with all the points that you said about things. Just, it, it allows things to be on blast. And I think there's good things and there's bad things in that. We just got to keep our eyes peeled um, for when that becomes kind of taken advantage of. And we get into a dogpiling situation and it turns into a bullying thing where we're not really looking for people to, I don't learn and get better and we're more interested in just making others feel terrible so you feel better about yourself. I don't know. There's a weird line in there and we just got to, you know, and 
I'm still trying to figure out where that line is and figure out my thoughts on it. So it's a fun thing, though, and uh, not a fun. I mean, it is it is what it is. And so I'm with you, man. Social media. I've, I have a lot of optimism about it. Sure. Yeah, it's a beast. I, it's a beast of a subject. And I think that so we chose we could have this whole conversation just be dissecting our, you know, anecdotal and observational participation <laughs> in social media. Um, but I mean, it's it's just a major part of of, you know, our lives now. So, you know, naturally so we can talk about it quite a bit. Yeah, well, we'll keep learning as we go, man. We'll keep learning. No doubt. So um, what is the best thing, best film or series that you've seen recently? For being at home so much, uh, you know, we I've been catching up on a lot of stuff. Uh, as far as new shows, is that what you want to talk about? New shows or just any shows, new movies, old movies? What are you thinking? Um, how about this? Give me, give me one title that is new and one title that is not time restricted whatsoever. Okay. Uh, new would be Queen's Gambit, the TV show on Netflix and mm-hmm. more kind of older stuff. I would say Lonesome Dove, the Western series. Ah, okay. <laughs> Have you ever seen Lonesome Dove? No, I haven't. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you every grandparent on the planet had that four VHS box set of Lonesome Dove. And so I was never interested in it. But for whatever reason, it piqued my interest and I watched it. And it might be the greatest Western story I've ever seen in my life. I've been getting really into Westerns lately. I know it's super random. There's this movie called The Big Country from 1958. And it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. It was on the Criterion channel, so I checked it out. It stars Gregory Peck. Anyways, man, um, I've just been into the Western a bit lately, man. Something I've never been into before, but for some reason, the past year, I'm into it now. Interesting. I um, am not very familiar with with Westerns myself, so we were probably at some point in a similar boat, but I will take that as a recommendation on both Queen's Gambit and Lonesome Dove because I haven't seen either. But I've heard a lot of good things about Queen's Gambit. And the lead actress, whose name I don't know either, um, she's been in a few other things that I've seen and is impressive. Like, she's definitely definitely someone to keep an eye on. Dude, she's, she is awesome, man. Like, I started actively, like, seeking her out. She was in, what was that goofy superhero movie that came out this past year that was delayed for, like, two or three years because it, probably wasn't very good but they they were like we're in a pandemic let's put it in drive-in theaters well i went to the drive-in theater and i saw it i can't remember what it's called but she was good in it the movie wasn't very good but anyways man what about you what have you been watching what's something tv shows movies what's going on so i i keep netflix active about three months out of the year and not necessarily for any specific reason but i find that i'll scroll and scroll and scroll and I'll find things to watch eventually. And then it seems like I sort of dry up the material that I'm actively interested in watching. And then at that point, I don't want to just be watching things just to watch them, even though I probably should as an aspiring filmmaker, like, you know, just watching things and, and learning something from it is a worthwhile, you know, investment of time. But I don't like to spend too much time watching in general. I would, I would like to, you know, do a, do a, uh, 
a, a respectful divvy of watching and then writing and sort of pondering and, you know, doing a little bit of my own uh, production, if you will, mm-hmm. as opposed to just consumption. So um, I reactivated Netflix about, it's probably been about a month ago now, and I've watched like 30 movies <laughs> yeah. um, and have just really dove in because they, they did pump out a lot of material um, in 2020. And, um, and into 2021 now. Um, so I'm going to have to ponder on it for a second. I know that my favorite series as of recent is dark, which they put season three out. Um, I guess it was actually last year sometime. Um, and all three seasons are phenomenal. Um, Mm. the show is, is it's deep, deep sci-fi. I mean, if you, if you have uh, a disregard for the, uh, the uh, science fictional, then you might not be into it. But one thing I know about Jacob Boyd is that he digs the sci-fi. <laughs> hey man, when I'm not watching Westerns, I'm going sci-fi. That's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and dark is actually a German show. So like Netflix, Germany um, did it. And it is just a masterful masterful series everything about it is beautiful the the writing is complex and intricate uh the performances are all stellar the cinematography is gorgeous their use of music and their sound design is one of the things that uh appealed to me the most um i absolutely love the way that they designed the the sounds of the science fictional elements as well as their use of music they almost juxtapose uh more i don't want to call it poppy music or popular music but it's not it's not your typical sort of dark sci-fi or or high fantasy style scoring it's 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 music with more popular instrumentation or rock instrumentation and and vocals so that's that's an aspect of it that I really love, but but yeah, Dark on Netflix is is a series that I was low key obsessed with. <laughs> hey man, that's the best way to consume a show with obsession that you love it. That's really amazing, man. I will look into Dark. I've had that recommended to me a number of times. I don't know what it is why I haven't gone down that path, but I will take that journey based on your specific recommendation. And there was one other show on Netflix that I. For the people out there who probably don't care about westerns, I got you, I got one more for you. It's called Jiri Haji, so G I R I slash H A J I, and it is a show that was made for the BBC, but um, and it was produced for Netflix. But it's it's a yakuza story, like a Japanese mafia, and it's set in Japan and in England. But the filmmaking in it is exquisite. The story, the characters, everything about it is just so freaking cool. And it just, I don't know, it really spoke to me. Honestly, of all the, sh- I don't really watch a lot of TV series. I, li- I really prefer to watch movies. TV series is just, it's more of an investment. But that is one that I was very happy that I invested my time into. Um, so, Jiri Haji. Jiri Haji, okay. I agree. The uh, the investment in a series is is something that I consider before I start a series. If I'm watching a film, if I'm, gonna, if I'm just going to sit down on the couch and throw on a flick, I know that it's going to be an hour and a half or two hours of my time and then I can walk away from it and that's it. But a a series is like, okay, am I willing to, you know, parse out some time in the next month of my life to like journey through this thing? And I say month, but what I really mean is 
weekend because <laughs> we are now bingers. We are not simply <laughs> casual viewers of series. We digest them wholly in some ridiculously short amount of time. <laughs> totally, man. And even when you don't have access to the whole series, like I remember I watched Watchmen at the end of 2019 and I got super obsessed with it. And so that was a weekly show. And in between, I would spend the week like listening to podcasts about it, people doing like insightful deep dives on it and stuff like that. So it's fun to do that as well. Yes, I agree. That we do, but it, it is cool in that way, man. Yeah. Um, that was something I wanted to say about Dark too. Is that because I watched it in real time, you know, or at least as they released the the seasons, um, I was able to watch one season at a time and then have that feeling of anticipation. But Watchmen specifically was another one I was doing the same thing as you, watching it weekly, loving it, obsessing over it, you know, <laughs> digesting other media related to it in between the episodes, and then just locked in, you know, for that hour on the couch every Sunday when it would come on HBO. That that was a really well done series too. I mean, just another just another mastercraft of of all aspects of of film. I mean, really you can't say a negative thing about that one. Oh, yeah, I mean, I think it's a masterpiece on the highest level. Um for me, I mean, I went back and reread the comic, well the graphic novel I should say, and yeah, I mean, going deep. And that's that's what's fun. That's what movies and shows, that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to ignite your imagination. And for me, if that, if it, if it does do that, man, I just get obsessed. And so, um, yeah, it's another good, good example, man. For sure. <clears throat> so as far as films for myself, I've, I've watched a lot. Um, as I was saying, I, I just dove in and started sort of, you know, non, non-discriminate, there was no discrimination in the films that I was watching there for a while. Um, and here recently. And, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time picking out one that has stood out because I've watched so many and there's been this blend, but I do want to say something about that aspect. And it's that Netflix as its own production giant, they've started to pump out a lot of, original material. I mean, just a lot of original material. And I've noticed that a lot of the thrillers and the films that they put out that are a little more, uh, actiony, suspenseful, dramatic of the thriller general genre, they've, there's this trend where the opening sequence, the opening scene will be a foreshadow of basically the climax of the film. And then they'll, sort of rewind you back to a place where the film actually starts. And I sort of dislike it, to be honest. I don't like the spoiling of here's what's going to happen to this character that you're about to see for the first time. And then we're just going to build you back up to it. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I've, I've picked up on that trend quite as much as you, but I, I know what you're referring to. And yeah, I don't know. Is it, is it clever to do that? I don't know, man. Uh, maybe. Apparently folks thinks it is, you know, Netflix. I feel like it's a, it's a hook. I feel like it's, it's the, it's them presenting you with something that says, Oh, look, things are going to get interesting. So, you know, because we're going to spend the first 20 minutes building up our world and characters, we don't want you to think that for some reason, 
someone's not going to get shot in the temple because it's going to happen, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually, now that you say that, I, I'm reminded, what's that movie with, with one of those Hemsworth guys and he's like protecting the little Indian boy or something? It, they do that in that movie. Do you know what I'm talking about? Did you see that? It was pretty I'm good. I'm not sure so if I saw it. The guy who plays Thor. What's his name? Yeah. Chris Hemsworth or Liam, one of those two. I um, think Chris is the older brother and I think he plays Thor, but I, I'm not exactly sure. That sounds right. But yeah, they do that in that movie. So that might actually be a thing. Now you've opened my eyes to it, man. I don't think I'm going to be able to unsee it when I'm watching a Netflix production. So I watched two recently that come to mind. Um, Red Dot is one. It's a Netflix film. It's, I want to say it's Swedish actually. And it's about a couple who go on a, an Alpine hiking trip and they get stalked by uh, someone with a gun, essentially. So I don't want to spoil it, but it opens with a scene from the climax or, or uh, a sliver of a scene from the climax. And then it just takes you back to, you know, a place in the story that's, that's totally disconnected from the sort of violent sliver that you're given in the very beginning. And then the other one is called The Decline. And it was a French-Canadian Netflix film where some survivalists um, have formed a community online and they go to this man's property and they train. They do uh, homesteading and they do weapons training and just various survival skills so that they can learn to live off-grid. And someone ends up getting killed during the training and then everything goes haywire. And again, they start the film with something happening during that sort of climax pinnacle of the film. And then they rewind you back to the main characters sort of inception point in the story. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not fond of it. I got to say, dude, if I guess if I stop and think about it, Netflix has so many choices. So you really only have that first five minutes to peak folks interest in perhaps you know around the the committee table they came up with this device hey man this might work and i wonder if that is some thinking that they had on it to to try to hook viewers because there are just so many choices huh yeah that's interesting nick makes you wonder and you know something that i do love about netflix is the ability to watch like a trailer or a scene whenever you're just hovering over the the title like they just have that built in now, that's amazing. And I mean, I think that mechanism is perfect for allowing the viewer to decide, is this something I want to dive into or not? So maybe if they're building on that concept, that is a, a, a formula that might they might see some success with. And that would make sense. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I'm, I'm anxious to pull up Netflix and, and test out your theory here because that's really <laughs> interesting stuff. <laughs> yeah, I've... Um, I've dove back in face first for sure with with the Netflix titles and just seeing what's what's been happening since I've been away because really I, after I took my trip across the country, came back and started planting my roots again, I didn't have Netflix basically the entire year until toward the end of last year. And then I actually just ended up watching the series Bloodline all the way through. Mm. Are you familiar with that one? I am um, familiar with it. I saw. I think I saw the first season, or at least the first few episodes of the first season, and I liked it. 
The first season was great. Um, I'm a huge fan of Ben Mendelsohn, and he was basically the main character or at least the antagonist in the first uh, season. So I loved it. Uh, after that, in my opinion, the the series declined pretty heavily. But but yeah, I watched that. Watched a few a few films, um, and then just deactivated it again. You know. Yeah, I guess that that's a that's a recurring theme for me with my uh, online devices. Here is the ability to deactivate and reactivate at my leisure. <laughs> it's it's good to have that power. Know that you have that power, man. Do you do you collect DVDs or anything, or is that just more I do stuff? You do okay, right on. Uh, yeah, that's that's one of the that's one of the uh, material possessions that I have no filter on on. Uh, or no, no maximum to my capacity, I guess is a good way to put it. I, I, if I see a movie that I'm either interested in seeing or that I know that I like, I'll, I'll purchase the physical copy, um, by choice because I want to have that, you know, library in my home. Yeah. And, you know, as you know, Netflix or HBO or Hulu or whatever, the, the movies rotate. So if there's something that you really love, you know, it shouldn't be up to the, you know, the streaming service to determine whether or not you can watch it at this period of time. So I agree with you, man. I'm also a big collector of, of DVDs and Blu-rays and whatnot. So I have to say I've, I have gotten a little bit more into like digital downloads recently. Uh, just sure, so, yeah. So, but, uh, but at the same time, you know, owning it is, is an important thing, I think, rather than making, you know, owning it's a good thing. Yeah, no doubt. I uh, I have this sort of, you know, anxious nightmare about one day all physical media is just a thing of the past and everything's only digital. And then we're we're just waiting for the uh, the blackout to happen and we lose every every record of everything. And we got to start from scratch, you know, Blade Runner 2049 <laughs> happening yeah, man, I, I have those thoughts as well. I mean, you know, the Sumerians, the Egyptians, they, they had it right, man, write that shit in stone. And uh, so that way it'll, it'll stand the test of time. So yeah, right now, if we were wiped away, I mean, can you imagine like everything's gone? Music, movies, I mean, everything. So I'm with you, man. Yeah, music is the, it's the one thing that I need to do a better job of keeping an actual library of because I have totally just subscribed to Spotify and never looked back. And I love the accessibility of it and the fact that I can listen to it on my phone. I've got the Bluetooth in my car. I can be at my desktop and listen to it. I mean, the, and I have a smart TV now that I just bought like two months ago. It's the first TV that I've owned since like 2014 or something. Um, everything else was just on like computer screens or laptops or whatever. But my smart TV has a Spotify app as well. So I'm just always showered in the music I love, and I'm very grateful for that technology. But again, if there was to be some, you know, thing that happened, some event, and I was, you know, taken away from the internet, I would also be taken away from music at all. So mm. that's a little that's a little sad to think about. Is that I spend a lot of time listening to music. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. With music, man, I. You know, I, I mostly do like podcasts. I'm still am listening to music and I'm discovering interesting new music that, you know, because I have, I'm not really indoctrinated into that world, I stumble across things. But as far as actually collecting 
physical media. I collect like fashion photography books or just books on any type of, you know, coffee table book on um, architecture or, you know, photography or whatever. I really do enjoy that. Now, I like reading on a phone or a Kindle or an iPad or whatever, but if it's like a photography type of thing, something where you're looking instead of actually reading, I, I do I do appreciate that type of stuff too, man. So it's good to have I saw, media in this life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agreed. And I saw that you were posting about fashion photography recently. I, I had no idea that that was a, an interest of yours. Yeah, it's been developing over the years, man. You know, it started with the photos. You know, you see a, a pretty girl in a pretty dress and the, and the photography is amazing. You're just like, wow, you know, it's really cool. But then the more you kind of get into that world, the more you start to understand the different brands, whether it's, you know, Dior, Louis Vuitton, Alexander McQueen or whatever. And then you start to understand the uh, publications, you know, like Vogue or Harper's Bazaar or whatever. And it's, it's a whole world, man. And then you start getting on YouTube and you find out that there's like these fashion films that are just mind boggling how beautiful they are and how experimental. And they, they really range from anything like a, like a commercial, you know, to truly experimental filmmaking that you would see like in, at an installation at a museum. So to me, it's the most relevant. It's almost, I think it might actually be more relevant than music videos in 2021 um, for my tastes. Now, obviously, music it, music videos is a, has a special place in my heart, but in terms of pure experimentation, kind of outside of the world of commerce, and as I say that, fashion videos are really commercial, so I, I don't know what I mean by that, but I think that... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm being pretty contradictory here. These major fashion brands that want you to buy their clothing or making stuff, but it's not about commerce. But the spirit of it doesn't come across as commerce. The spirit of it comes across as pure beauty and experimentation. And I don't know, it just moves me. So I've been very interested in all things women's fashion. I mean, men's fashion too, but all things fashion for the past past little bit. Mm-hmm. I think I was picking up what, where you were going with, with that in that, as filmmakers, we know that there is a there is a marketability and a commercial aspect to anything, uh, art or not. But when you when you take a product and the goal is to make a film uh, not about the product but just using the product as a, as an accessory or a prop, or to design a world sort of around this product, that the film is not selling the product as much as it is trying to narrate what this product does in the world, you know, how it fits in and how people might use this product. Yeah. 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 We're on the exact same page. And I think that perhaps there's, I'm a little jaded over the music video thing. Cause towards the end there, I got a lot of, you know, this video is going to break my band and like kind of unnecessary pressure when it came to making music videos for bands and it's like, dude, I can't guarantee that's going to happen. You are certainly not paying me enough for, for me to even consider if this video is going to, quote unquote, break your band to the next level. <laughs> um, so, so the pressure of it just became, I don't know, a little discombobulated. And so when I see stuff like these experimental fashion films and stuff, to me, it's just it's it's coming from a place of truth. And um, and I think that's why it's speaking to me so much right now. You know, do you have any things like that that, you know, you've been interested in outside of the film world, outside of ladies and dresses, man? 
<laughs> I, um, man, I, I've had this thing going on recently, not even recently. This has been a, a thing that has intermittently occurred throughout my life, I think, where my interests feel so sprawling and widespread that I don't even know what thing I'm interested in that I should take part of from day to day almost, you know, it's like I have this just hunger for uh, so many things, man. And it's, it's, it's frustrating and exhilarating because I like things. I like life. I'm excited about life most of the time. And mm-hmm. as a result, I, I can dive into things that are not related to my profession, you know, or my hobbies or, or what have you, but through the lens of being a creative quote unquote, I, I tend to look at things from the standpoint of their story. So something that has interested me, but that I don't participate in, uh, semi recently is rock climbing, for example. I think that rock climbers are amazing human beings. They are, first of all, they're just very strong physically and that's, that's required for what they're doing. But they also have this mental fortitude and this quality of mind that I think is not necessarily exclusive to rock climbing, but it is required for it. And you don't see it in a lot of other, facets of life. So that has sort of fascinated me. And as a result, I've been watching, you know, um, documentaries and, and short films and listening to podcasts and things like that with just rock climbers, just people who literally scale mountains (laughs) as a, as a function of life. (laughs) Man, I love that, dude. I mean, to me, as long as you're passionate about something, it's better than to, than to not be passionate about anything. And as far as like rock climbing, I think of that as like a solo sport, a sport that is really you against yourself or, you know, you against this mountain. It's the same as golf or something, right? So it takes a lot of, um, I don't know, a lot of discipline and a lot of self-analysis to understand how, how you are holding yourself back, breaking through that. And I think that can really help your the way you treat others and, personality and whatnots. I'm fascinated by that, man. I'm going to look up a couple rock climbing videos, man. You got me stoked. I remember seeing that documentary. What was the one that, that was so good that came out a couple years ago about the guy that was, um, free, free, free solo, climbing. free solo. Oh man, that movie rocks. Absolutely. That, that, so I'm not sure if it was free solo that sort of really throttled me into this interest because I was aware of Alex Honnold, who that documentary is about, I was aware of him before that, um, and a few other climbers, but after seeing that documentary, I was just riveted. I mean, there's no way, I feel like there's no way a person can watch that and not just be moved by it. It's, it's, it's incredible. The man climbs a nearly 4,000 foot rock wall with no equipment. He is hanging, he is hanging onto the side of that mountain and not long after leaving the ground, if you fall, you're dead. So there's no way to avoid that reality, and there's no way to, you know, skate around it. That's just part of it. 
But that's one of the things that I was referring to with that mental fortitude that death is not something that they are concerned with whatsoever when doing what they're doing because if it were, then they probably just wouldn't do it. If, if, their, if their stake was to preserve their own life, they would not be climbing a rock wall with ropes or without, I would imagine. No doubt about it. Now I feel a little silly about my golf analogy or a golf comparison <laughs> because no, no one's dying putting a, putting a ball into a hole. But you're exactly right, man. That is unbelievable. Well, I, I don't think the analogy is silly. I, I think that on the note of being deliberate and, and doing activities or living in such ways that require our deliberation that we tap into this sort of secret pool of life, man, where, you know, I, I don't want to sound too, uh, mystical here or anything, but let's go deep, man. Let's go. (laughs) I, I think that being deliberate and being intentional is a major secret to life. You know, if, if you're able to be present and to really dive into the thing that you're doing, no matter what it is, that it opens up this channel where a lot of the times our minds are not present because we are thinking about other things while we're doing a thing. Yes. You know, say you work a job, say you work a job that you dislike and you're standing behind a cash register for six hours or eight hours a day. How often is your mind actually on the task that you're doing? I would imagine, I would imagine not, not very often because it's a, it's a thing that you can do mindlessly pretty well. But if one is to attempt to supersede that and sort of dive in anyways and say, you know what? I might just be a cashier, but I'm going to be a damn good cashier and I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to hone in and I'm going to make sure all the customers that I interact with are taken care of. And then I'm doing my job efficiently and I'm, I'm here for it, man. I'm not here just for the paycheck. I'm here because this is what I'm doing with my time. Wow, Dude, I'm digging it. I'm digging. It. I think you're onto something right here, Mr. Nick. Holy jeez. <laughs> I think I'd spot on. I, I don't really know what I have to add to that other than to say thank you for that little tidbit of wisdom because I really think you're, you're, you're onto something that is, uh, that's really resonating with me, man. Mindfulness, being in the moment, being present. Because I wonder how much of the day we spend sleepwalking. We're daydreaming about what's going on, what happened last night or last week. We're, we're thinking about what we have to do next Tuesday. How, when's the last right. time we've like really looked at our hands and the way that we can move them and how fortunate that we are that we live in this plane of existence that is so mysterious, so bewildering that if you actually stop and think about the fact that you're alive and what that means, I don't know if we could handle it. So we distract ourselves constantly as a coping mechanism. And um, definitely, yeah. So I think you're right on the money, man, but being president in that moment, doing the best you can do at all times, no matter if it's a major thing or a small thing, Thank you for that, Nick. That was cool, man. Absolutely, dude. I'm I'm uh, stoked that you that that resonates with you, and that and that you seem to spend some time thinking about that as well. From from what I'm gathering here, <laughs> it's crossed my mind a time oh, a couple times for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, you know, I think the 
you hear a lot in the world of sort of new age spirituality about being present. And and it's really a Buddhist principle, um, I think, ultimately. But you hear a lot of talk about being present. And on the surface, it's hard to grasp that because there's not a lot of tangible language used in that sphere. And so to be deliberate is a mechanism by which we can be present because we are concentrated on the task that we're doing and the byproduct is us being present. It's not that we're focused on being present. It's that we're focused on the task and we become present as a result. Whoa, far out, man. Yeah, that's hitting. That's hitting. I'm with it. <laughs> right on. Yeah. It's a thing, man. It's, you know, I'm I'm 30 years old and when I was 22, my grandfather passed away and it sent me on this small journey into seeking spirituality, seeking big answers to big questions, that kind of thing. And one of the books that I read at the time is called The Power of Now. And it's by a spiritual author named Eckhart Tolle. I may, may be pronouncing that last name wrong. But it's all about being present. And it's all about trying to center the mind and to not be distracted by yesterday or tomorrow. But again, the, the actual functionality of that statement, it feels mysterious to me. And, and I've been reading about it for seven or eight years now. It still feels mysterious, you know? It's, yeah. it's, it's, sim- it's simple in its, in its language, but it's, it seems mystical, sort of shrouded in its practicality, in its, in its reach, in its accessibility. <laughs> Far out, you know? And yeah, that is, that is something that I think that, probably most people don't even really consider and it and it's tough that when a catalyst something when something tragic happens um that we do we are more in tune to those types of ideas or seek out that type of information instead of getting lost in the simple rhythms of life that we recognize that you know this thing is wild man this life thing is is crazy and sometimes that's what it takes to get shaken out of it um so so good for you man um I don't know. It's it's wild, especially with the the craziness that's going on around us right now. Um, you know, we we have a couple different ways that we can handle a pandemic. One, we can, you know, use it as an opportunity to appreciate life. You know, think about the life we had before. Think about the life that we want to have again, and how do we achieve that? And how do we appreciate it more? And or two, we can just deal with fear. And that leads to a lot more drinking and a lot more um, fear-based <laughs> mindsets, man. And I have to admit, I've, I've definitely been down that road, and maybe I'm still on that path a little bit. But I'm trying to, trying to steer it back in a place where you're not coping with anxieties or these, these types of things in that type of way. I'm trying, man. And uh, so the words that you're saying, it's, it's just another good reminder that there is more to this life than fear or disappointment or whatever the fact that you're stuck in this house and you're not seeing your friends the way you'd like to you're worried about your parents you're worried about your grandparents worried about you know your your friends um that uh you know this is a magical thing man we are in a special place and 
You know, it, I think it's really just a perception change. And if we can work on having a, a perception that really helps ourselves and our people, the people around us, um, then, you know, this will ultimately, hopefully, turn out to be a good thing, a good catalyst for a positive change, I hope. Absolutely. Well said. I, I have similar thoughts. I think that the ability to slow down um, has been a boon for a lot of people, that they've been able to sit back and realize, man, I was going way too fast or I was just totally not in the driver's seat of my own life. And I think for a substantial amount of people that the pandemic has opened up that channel of, of self-analysis, you know, of, of just being able to, again, zoom out and, and look at one's own life from a third person perspective, maybe, and say, I spent way too much time at the office and not enough time with my dog or my kids or my wife or, you know, yeah. I only have one of those three things and it's not human. So, um, <laughs> uh, but I do like to spend time with my dog and I feel guilty if I'm away from home 10 or 12 hours a day and she's been sitting inside, you know, waiting on me to get home and, you know, so applying that as an analogy to the way that we spend our time and attention in life, I think that it's a very tough game of balancing our values and responsibilities, but that suddenly over this last year, we've had an opportunity to reevaluate, to slow down and just say, Hey, wait a second. Maybe I don't have to go 100 miles an hour all the time. Maybe mm -hmm. I can chill a bit. Totally, man. And for the record, uh, a pet is as important uh, emotionally to a person, and you are very important emotionally to that pet, man. I work in a at a pet supply company, and that's I work with pets every single day, and I've come to realize just how important that relationship is. So whether it's a human or not, man, it's still a relationship and a good thing. So um, I, I feel you on that, man, and it, it does make you feel guilty if you're away for so long, you know. It's, so anyways, I just want you to know that I dig your relationship with your dog. That's it. Ah, much appreciated, man. As a matter of fact, today, which is also Valentine's Day and is also Jacob's wife's birthday, as I was informed before the show. So happy birthday to Mrs. Boyd. Ah. Um, today is actually the three-year anniversary of my adoption day for my dog. So I got her on Valentine's Day in 2018. That's incredible, man. What kind of dog do you have, by the way? So she is an Australian Shepherd and Blue Healer mix. Beautiful. She's dog. a feisty much, one. Is she? How much does she weigh, give or take? Forty pounds, roughly. The last time we we weighed her was around Christmas, and it was forty two pounds. So she's in that medium range, you know, manageable weight. She doesn't jerk my limbs away from my body when we're out walking or anything. So that's nice. <laughs> um, she's actually deaf as well. Um, so she has, uh, within the, the breeds of dog that are considered, um, Oh, what's the word? Um, Oh man, it's totally left my brain. Um, there's a, there's a, a, a gene in 
several breeds of dog that encompass um, Australian Shepherds, Border Collies, Healers. Uh, there's probably some others in there that I'm unaware of. And any two can yield this recessive trait where they can be blind and or deaf. So, oh, it's double Merle. That's what it's called, the double Merle trait. So um, they they have a few different markers, and it's um, either an all-white coat or a tricolored coat, which is going to be white, black, and brown. So she has the tricolored coat, and it's two blue eyes because they also um, can have the heterochromia, uh, which is two different colored eyes. Uh, but if they have two blue eyes as well as an all-white or a tricolored coat, they can be blind and or deaf. So she was born deaf, but... Um, you know, to be honest, man, I've had her three years now, and it's a trait that I sometimes – I'm never forgetful of it, but it's a trait that I'm often able to not think about because it just doesn't really affect our relationship or her behavior or, you know, really anything except for when we're outside, she's got to be on a leash, and that's about it. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful, man. That's beautiful. And it's it's kind of those traits that – make your relationship with that pet unique, you know, and I don't know, it's just a wonderful thing, man. Good for you. I'm really for happy sure, to hear yeah. that story about you and your pup. That's cool. What's your dog's name again? What'd you say it was? Sky. Sky. Mm-hmm. I like that, man. And she was my co-pilot on the uh, cross-country road trip there, so she was with me all four weeks. Loving it. <laughs> That's unbelievable, man. Seeing the country. Most humans don't get to do that. What a lucky dog. That's awesome, man. For sure. <laughs> no doubt. So uh, speaking of the pandemic, have you have you turned that time toward your filmmaking? Have you been shooting anything, writing, working on working on anything new? Oh, man. So I did do the seven day shootout back in September or something like that. It was an extremely small cast and crew. I think a total of five people. I was so paranoid Okay, here's the deal. The worst thing that can possibly happen is that you invite people out to help you with your th- stupid thing and they get sick as a result. And, <laughs> I mean, I was right. horrified by this. So we did do it for the seven-day shootout, and, and, and that was fun. And it, 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 thankfully, everything went fine. I am very, very hesitant to do anything. I am technically, I am part of the Tennessee 10 this year. It's a rollover from last year. And there's a good chance that I may just do like a Ken Burns style documentary by myself or something. I oh, still, wow. there is just so much, there would be so much guilt involved if someone got hurt. So now that's one part, that's one strand of thinking. The other strand of thinking is, is that people are anxious to get out and to do stuff that's fun, to get a taste of normal again. So you know, to facilitate that, you know, and don't be a jerk about it. You know, let's, everyone's wearing masks. We're doing the right things. We're taking the right protocols. And if we do those things, everything should be okay. And if everyone is okay with that risk, then that's a good thing. So I've got these two conflicting thoughts, you know, going after each other right now. So, but as far as what I've actually been doing, kind of at this point, brainstorming ideas for the Tennessee 10, what can I do with the minimal cast and crew? You know, if things straighten up in the next few months, I believe it starts in May, May through August. So we have a couple months. If things straighten up a little bit, you know, what can you do with a, a medium-sized cast and crew? Um, 
But for the most part, I have not been as productive as I would have liked to have been over the past year, I must admit. But I have a lot of optimism um, about where things can go. Um, and, you know, and I've been I've done a pretty good job of keeping my passions high and following the things that I really love. And whether it's some silly women in a dress photo or a Western or whatever, just following that path and seeing it where it's seeing where it takes me. How about you? Have you been doing much of that stuff, man? Have you, you know, been doing some writing and, and doing that type of thing? Yeah, writing a lot. Um, I do want to comment quickly on on, on uh, what you were saying. Um, I, I think that what you said there towards the end is is very true, very relevant. Um, that just you know keeping up with your interests and and letting those be wide and and not necessarily restricting yourself to like oh if I'm not shooting a short film every three to four months. I'm, 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 I'm losing ground. You know, I, I feel like there's maybe this sense of urgency, um, with people who are creating art at our level where we're still trying to make it, if you will, you know, and, sure. and that even that term is, is varying in its, in its seriousness. But, um, I think that even just consuming media or interests or hobbies that you enjoy is still a development as an artist, regardless of your medium, you know, that you're, you're taking in inspiration all the time. And that's sort of just how it, how it works for us. You know, um, Mm -hmm. I have written on the dry erase board behind me, creatives don't get weekends. And Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, my experience at least has been that regardless of whether I'm actively working on something or not, regardless of whether I have the, the time or the energy to work on something, you know, physically to actually be writing a script or to be editing a project or what have you, I'm always thinking about it. I'm always thinking about something and I'm always gleaning inspiration off of my lived experiences and, my perception of the world and my interactions with other people or, or just nature. Um, so I feel like, you know, as, as a person who interfaces with the world that way, that we just sort of have this perpetual cycle of consumption, production, consumption, production. And and then <laughs> there's just this sort of channel of gray in between those two, where sometimes we might be fluctuating, between them, between them for a while and not doing either one very well, but that's okay too. You know, we just, we also are people, so we, we got to do what we got to do. You know, I cannot begin to agree more. Um, I think that my philosophy on that has evolved a little bit over the past couple of years. I'm pretty sure a handful of years ago, I told somebody or wrote some stupid Facebook page post about how if we're not making stuff, you know, on a, regular basis than we were just a person who dabbled in it at one time. And that to me, I think was just coming from a place of insecurity and saying that to myself, reminding myself that, Hey man, I've got to stay on the ball with this. Mm. But as I've grown as a person, I've realized that life is more than some silly short film or some silly poem that you wrote or whatever nonsense, you know, it's about just going with the flow, finding your own pace and allowing that, that pace to to happen naturally without feeling guilty about it or feeling like you're not doing enough because 
that level of kind of self-criticism, I think it's a good thing to give yourself a nice kick in the pants from time to time. But to uh, to beat yourself up about it too much is probably not a healthy thing. So, I, I just no doubt. Basically, I'm just digging it, man. I'm digging what you're saying. Likewise, man. It's a uh, it's an interesting rhythm to find yourself in. You know, when 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 you're used to uh, a high pace and a high capacity of of work and productivity and generating ideas and keeping a notebook full of you know little. Uh, log lines that you might try to turn into a script later on or something, you know, that that's something that I feel is, again, it's sort of that gradient of, of our process as filmmakers or as, as artists in general, but that we just sort of need to let the ebbs and flows happen and be, be a part of them, but not always trying to override what's happening. You know, that's, that's a key, I think. Perfectly spoken nailed it on the head yeah not yeah i'm with it man don't don't let your yourself um move faster than the universe is moving you know for sure that's that's a big one man we we're we're pretty smart you know as humans we're we're pretty smart but we're not uh we're not powerful enough to really take control of the ship as it were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, that's a, that's a well said point. I dig that. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I've, I've been, um, I've been writing. That was actually my focus in 2020 was to step away from the physical set from the production aspect for a while and just let my, let my ideas kind of flow out onto the page, you know, a lot of, a lot of just sort of scrappy, you know, sketches of stuff really is, is what it, what happened at first. And then I revisited an older idea that I'd actually shot a short film for, um, back in 2017. And I turned that script into a feature that ended up at about 86 pages. Um, So, but since I wrote the feature, it has been stuck, uh, stuck back in the bank and, and hasn't been touched since because when I finished it, I was so frustrated with myself and with the the final product that I thought, okay, I'm not going to throw this out, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to continue with it in its current form. So when I do decide to revisit it, which I think will be pretty soon, I've been sort of pondering it again, I'm going to reapproach it and it's basically it, it might exist as a skeleton or an outline for what I want the final story to be but it's probably not going to resemble much of what's actually there currently you know it's amazing I look back at most of the films that I do and I'm just I kind of roll my eyes and there's always at least one part that you're like geez Louise what in the world was I doing <laughs> definitely know, was I drinking that, that what's going on here but that's just part of, of evolution and, and growth as a person, man. And so when you look back at that script here in the next few weeks or whenever that time comes, man, when the time is right, what you did then isn't bad. It was just a step to the next thing that you had to take. And so that's a, putting forth the effort to write, writing a 86-page a script, that is an incredible effort. And that effort does not go unnoticed, I think, by... Um, you know, your development and your creative self. 
I think you're right. I think that just getting past that hurdle of how do I do it, you know, because that's 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 a daunting thing, especially for something like screenwriting, which has a lot of its own sort of technical signatures, right? Like the the way to to write a script is very specific. It's it's its own unique form of writing, as a matter of fact, as far as the technical aspect goes. So totally. to 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 launch yourself past that hurdle of how do I do it technically to am I capable of doing it creatively? Am I capable of, of putting out that amount of content and work and putting those words and ideas on the page? That was, it felt, it was gratifying to just complete it, even if it was in a stage that I would not even attempt to, you know, produce, you know, it, the, the, the quality of the story, even to me, the person who wrote it was not there yet, but the 86 pages of progress towards that goal is there. It's still there now, you know? So that's, that part of it is, is, is really sweet. And I'm, I'm stoked to get back to it and to check it out and to see, to see where my head was then compared to where it is now and to see what kind of product I can, I can recreate based off of that skeleton. But, uh, but for sure, I'm, I'm, I'm learning to appreciate the sort of gradual progress as opposed to expecting myself to be capable of, you know, writing a masterpiece of a screenplay of a feature screenplay, you know, for my first time. That's, that's unrealistic. Most likely. (laughs) I think for most, I think for probably 99.9% of people on the planet, that is just the truth, man. We are all just learning and growing. And it is about the old cliche of being about the, the journey, not the destination. I think that just the act of moving along a path that you were going the direction you want to go that is really the key to all this, man. I mean, if I really like look back at all the stuff that I've done over the years, all the different short films and all that crap, like I would, I would be so depressed. I'd be like, oh my gosh, why am I not better than this? Or why am I, you know, how did I fail all these times or whatever? But it's not about that at all. It's about you had a, a passion to do this thing. And you know what? You went out and you did that thing. How it turned out doesn't matter anymore. It, who cares? But the point is, is that, you know, even on a subconscious level, you're going to get better because you put in the time on this short film. The next one's going to be a little bit better in some way. There's just there's no choice but for it to be. It may not be this person's taste or that person's taste, but on some level, it is better. And if we just continue on that path, man, eventually we have no choice but to be good at it. Like, right. we can't screw it up anymore as long as we continue down that path. Definitely, dude. I, I love, as a matter of fact, I would consider it my mantra the saying, the journey is the destination. So I love that you just said that. And it really is applicable to filmmaking. It's applicable to everything, man. That's the thing that I love about that saying is that if you can just find the way to enjoy the process all the time, no matter what the process is, you know, and that goes back to the thing we were talking about with deliberation and just being present. It's like, that is another tangible way of understanding what it means to be here now is that if you can just enjoy the process, enjoy the journey and remove the idea of a destination, you know, there is no destination. We're always moving forward until we're not. And at that point, it doesn't matter anymore. 
because yeah. you're not moving at all, you know? So, but, but enjoying that process, enjoying that journey and realizing that the process is the thing. The journey is the destination. You know, I do. I, I think I saw a quote the other day where it said that, what was it? That uh, creativity, shoot, I'm butchering this. Um, that creativity requires urgency. So whenever you have a thought, a creative thought, don't sit on it for a month or two. The creative inspiration comes to you, and it, they want you, and it wants you to burst into action. So I don't know how long you've been thinking about doing these this little conversation podcast stuff, man. But I'd be willing to suspect that one day a thought came to you, and you know what? You started putting that in action, and uh, next thing you know, here we are. So good for you, man. Yeah. This is cool. Yeah, I, I've that that sense of urgency that comes with a uh, a thought or a creative idea. I've experienced that, and I've also experienced letting that letting that flame burn out before I ever take action. And then it's almost like, it's like unattainable to, to reach back and grab that idea and pull it back, you know? So, and that's not a good feeling that, that it's for a creative person, especially you kind of get this sense that like, Oh no, I've lost, I've lost that morsel. I've lost that piece of myself. That piece of my mind is never going to come back, you know? (laughs) Yeah, totally. I mean, and I do it. I, I, I can remember right now, how I had an idea about two months ago and I mean, and, uh, I didn't take action on it. And so now I, I'm, I'm in a, a place now. Can I recover it at some point? Maybe I hope, I don't know, but, um, but, but just that, that reminder that as soon as you get that idea, man, write it down, you know, and exactly. make a couple phone calls, man. Don't let you, don't be shy. You know, don't be afraid that someone's going to think that your idea is dumb or, you know, that people are going to judge you in some way, man, who cares? Keep moving, you know, and if you got to look a little dumb in the process, that's okay too. Yeah. The, the, the worst thing one can do, I think is just to not act on the idea. If it's something that they really want to do, if it's not something that they're just, you know, entertaining in their own mind, if it's something they really want to at least try and see what it's like, just, just do it. And if it, and if it requires participation from others, just ask them. All it takes is asking. They can say no, and if they say no, all right, on to the next one. And if you get to the bottom of your list and everyone said no, maybe it's time to uh, form a new list. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth, man. That's it. Absolutely. <laughs> um, well, I guess we're uh, maybe getting close to to wrapping it up here. I did want to ask you about the... 2021 Knoxville Film Festival. Um, you said you are a Tennessee 10 filmmaker this year, which is rad. Congratulations. Oh, and thanks, what, what do you, um, what do you expect from the festival this year? What do you think is going to come of it being, uh, being that they're doing digital only again for the second year? Well, I really enjoyed it last year when it was all online you know, there's something about sitting at the house, being able to vape like a savage and, uh, you know, maybe have a beer or two while you're watching it. It was really fun. And yes, there is definitely a social aspect of it that I miss terribly. These film festivals, yeah, you're there to watch some movies, but ultimately it's sort of like a high school reunion or something. You're there to hang out with the people and get to, you know, see people that you maybe only see once or twice a year. Right, so, yeah. 
So this year, you know, I, I, you know, I'm very excited for it. Um, you know, Keith has been doing this. God, I don't even know how many years it's been now. Pushing, pushing twenty. You know, he's up there in the late teens, I believe. And you know, I'm just proud of him, and I'm proud to support him in his pursuits of the Knoxville Film Festival. Um, I'm, I have a lot of optimism, and you know, as I said before, I'm kind of battling internally up with what is the right thing to do here, but I am confident that I will come up with a solution that is going to allow me to express myself the way that I need to be expressing it in that moment. So nice, man. That's, that's what matters for sure. Just, just being, being realistic about what is possible and what you can do with the, with the tools and resources that you've got available to you. That's, that's a major thing. I think speaking from my own experience, I, there's a, there's a a part of me that wishes that I would have been a little more conservative with my expectations for films that I had made for the festival previously. And that I don't want to complicate the language too much. What I'm really trying to say is that at the end of the day, I felt like I was asking too much of some of the people who had agreed to help me with some of these projects. And you know, they, they were there, um, by their own accord, but that doesn't mean that I can just ask anything that I wish of them and that it's expected to be done. You know, there, there, there comes a, a certain responsibility, um, with being this sort of this team leader, this director of this film where you've got to make sure you're taking care of your people, you know? And I, I, that's a major lesson that I learned in some of the films that I've, that I've made along the way. And that a a, a priority to me now is to make sure that if I don't have the means to take care of the people who are helping me cast and crew, that I'm just going to scale it back to where I do have the means to take care of those people. And that includes myself too. I mean, there have been countless times where I've, I've been uh, sleepless and, have consumed about 17 calories in the last 24 hours and, uh, you know, and maybe not even touched a bottle of water to my lips, you know, in that time either. So I think that, uh, it's, it's really important to, uh, to consider the, the human aspect again, that's sort of been the theme of this conversation, you know, is that we're, we're, uh, correlating the human with the artist, with the filmmaker. And it's a very valuable thing and, and something that, I think comes with experience, you know, more than anything else. So here we are learning about it and talking about it and I'm digging it. Me too, man. And uh, just to touch on that quickly, you know, that is, that is just a part of growing, man. Um, Realizing that, you know, people are taking time out of their life and, you know, and respecting that and appreciating that on the level that it needs to be appreciated is something that we just kind of grow in, in, and learn as we go and so that's something that is uh on on the forefront of my mind almost to the detriment to the of the to the movie sometimes and that's okay um because at the end of the day it is about those relationships it is about that movie as well but it's about those relationships and stuff so i'm with you man and uh, i think that was a very mature thing for you to say and i appreciate you saying that i haven't i've never heard any negative stuff or, or i don't know what you're implying exactly by by that statement but I do know that it just reminded me of some film sets that I have been on that have not been a very, um, you know, just, they're pretty, I don't know, they're outside of what I would be comfortable sure. doing as a leader. 
And so, um, yeah, man, we're just living and learning as we go. So good for you. Definitely. Well, I look forward to see what you make as I do every year. Um, you're one of my favorite filmmakers in the Knoxville community for sure. So whatever you decide to put together for the 10, I'm sure it'll be great. I can't wait to see it. And, uh, I want to thank you very much for being my very first guest. I've enjoyed this conversation very much and I look forward to doing it again soon. My man, you are a creative force in all the different ways that you're doing things in this new venture as, as a podcast gentleman is just another, another one of the great things that I know that you're going to do terrific with. So thank you for having me. This was, this was really fun. It was great to have this chat with you, Nick. Thank you, Jacob. 